Welcome to Top of Mind with Concilio Wealth, a show about markets, investing, and financial planning. Join us as we cover current events that are in the news and answer top of mind questions from our listeners. This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. This audio may contain statements that may be deemed as forward-looking. Any such statements are not guarantees of future performance and actual results may differ from those projected. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, tax, or other professional services. Welcome everyone to episode six of Top of Mind with Concilia Wealth. We are back today to answer a listener question about inflation. So today we're going to talk about why is inflation such an issue, some of the rumblings of the 1970s, where do we go from here? Uh, I'm joined once again by Hal, who we were just roundtabling our discussion before I hit record here. And uh, we've got a lot of data, a lot of numbers, a lot of things we hope to unpack here to answer. Uh, we heard discussion actually a couple times in the last two weeks from from some listeners. So uh, side note, thanks for sending in questions. If you got any other ones, feel free to feel free to drop us a line. How what's the update on your side? How how are things? You know, things things are good. We were just talking about uh, where the market is. Uh, we we went on a limb and said that the bottom was uh, June sixteenth, and we're there again. We'll wait. Hold on, we're not quite there. We're one point above. We're one point above. Yeah. So we okay. Yeah, yeah. One percent is is lots, lots and lots of money. Well, but, not one uh, percent. For context, everyone here. So June sixteenth, which uh, we we certainly went out on a limb and we called the low. The S and P five hundred closed that day at three thousand six 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 and seventy seven cents, yeah. uh, uh, or point so seven seven points. I guess to be technical. Yeah, we are at uh, three six six seven and thirty nine cents. So we're oh, it jumped a little bit. Anyway, we're about a point ish away. Uh, my prediction is that it'll close today above that point. I think we have pretty good support there. Um, and it would break the record of never going below that prior low, um, to go back a few episodes, once a market corrects 20% or more, which is technically a bear market, uh, and then it recovers 50% of that. It has never retested that low in the next 12 months. So let's see if we can break that record. Uh, my prediction is that we won't. Yeah, yeah, I think I agree with that sentiment that we probably won't. Um, think about what happened in June, right? CPI was uh, 9.1%. And has it gone higher since? We've had another no. two, three readings since then. No, I right? guess parts of it have, and it was surprised to the upside, but broadly, no. Okay. Yeah, so what's ultimately question is what's really going to drive CPI um, sorry for everyone. It's uh, what's really going to drive inflation back up to those levels that we saw in June, right? We're we're seeing the cost of inputs, right? Um, I could throw out all kinds of acronyms, but think of lumber, copper, uh, coffee, even agriculture. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All those the prices are all coming down pretty rapidly. Like lumber itself is down over sixty five percent from its peak. And if lumber's cheaper, what do you think that's doing for home builders? Or anyone who's remodeling, right? Mm -hmm. Are they going to have more expensive remodeling and building prices because lumber's cheaper? It doesn't really work like that, right? Mm -hmm. um, the labor part is sticky, but it, it, we, we actually view that as a good thing, right? If workers make more money, I think broadly that can help the economy more than more than 
input costs, right? The cost of corn or wheat or things like that. Long-term, that's very good, especially over the last decade where it's been the shareholder class of people that own stocks and own real estate have done incredibly well. Uh, but people that are uh, working paycheck to paycheck, living paycheck to paycheck, um, and are generally in lower income jobs, they haven't seen a raise at all. And yeah. so now to see really across all jobs, uh, inflation positively impact wages, this is actually very good news long-term. So class oh, yeah, half yeah. full. Yeah, Chris, well, I think if we're referring to the markets, this is a Friday, September 23rd, about midday through trading. So again, anytime you refer to the market, it's always going to move. So if we say we hit our lows, uh, by the time this comes out, we might've broken right through the lows or we might've rebounded for all we know, because you won't hear this until the following Wednesday. Yeah, that's true. Um, and since we are near the low, maybe I should put more money in that 529 plan, but conversation for another time. <laughs> well, people, people really loved what you had to say and the kind of like the, the trials, I guess you went through, but, um, yeah, the, the, our personal touches here have, have gotten a probably the best feedback. So we appreciate, we appreciate everyone, you know, giving us their thoughts. Well, I want to let you drive most of today's conversation because you've got a lot of data. This is really your space uh, for everybody that doesn't know how is our investment strategist here at, at Concilio. So how runs our portfolios, our, our models. Uh, he, he lives and breathes by economic data and numbers. Uh, and actually really the reason why we launched this podcast is he and I love talking about this stuff, um, and he brings just a certain level of knowledge that I don't have. Uh, I'm on the financial planning side, and so when we can roundtable uh, geeky market stuff and inflation stuff and Not geeky, uh, Not nerdy, popular, stuff. <laughs> popular, <laughs> yeah. and break down headlines, um, it's just God. It's fun for me, so uh, that's why we decided to record this and, and put it up for everybody else to listen based on uh, actually a couple of years of feedback on, hey, can we get more insights on your internal conversations? So here we are. So uh, I'm gonna turn it over to you. We've got a lot of information here in the deck to talk through uh, inflation. And, and again, why is it such an issue? You know, rumblings of the 70s and where do we go from here? All right, yeah, last time we talked, um, inflation has actually come down since, right? And it's it's looked like we're past the peak. Uh, the market reacted pretty pretty poorly, meaning it sold off on the last inflation reading um, in August, um, meaning yeah. the August CPI came out in September, which is always the month of lag. Um, course, course CPI, which strips out energy and food prices, because no matter what you do with interest rates, people are going to consume the same amount of gas and food. It's mm -hmm. just because it's an essential spend, right? Um, so while we look at core for future insights is because that's that's where the typical adjustments come from when prices are too high or or I can't afford it. You'll see um, the Fed really focus more on core, uh, not really CPI, which is a consumer price index, but rather PCE, which is the the price the oh, personal consumption expenditures. Um, CPI came came in 0.4% higher and that's mm -hmm. core. And even though gas prices came down, but even in spite of that, uh, we, we looked at Google searches and, 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 and core is without gas, right? So that's why that was so alarming. Yeah. Yeah. Even yeah. without gas coming down, which and means again, that everything else went up. Yeah. It's all, it's all lag too. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's always the previous months. Um, 
and that came in 0.4% higher to a tune of 6.3 for core. Uh, so that means the cost of everything else, yeah, but gas went up as Chris put it so eloquently, but, <laughs> but looking at that's what I'm here to Google, do. Yeah. Google searches and statistics. Would you, what would you guess would be like the, the biggest mm -hmm. search term during, during the, uh, CPI re report? Well, the, uh, the, the biggest, uh, I don't know, actually, maybe it's gas prices or, or, you know, whatever people, what would people be searching? Inflation goes up, you know, can I sell my home fast? I know that was a big, a big <laughs> search from a few weeks ago. Uh, what was it? No, I don't no. Know. Real life people cared about the queen, right? The queen hmm. passed, uh, at the tenor old age of, uh, 96, I believe. And searches for the queen exceeded inflation, which actually did not tick up at all. And it shows you what people really cue in on it because inflation really isn't a daily reminder outside of gas prices, right? We, we talked about gas prices coming, rocketing up and then coming down like a feather, but that applies to our, um, our social constructs, right? When you look at my Facebook feed or my Instagram feed, I see no, no mention of gas in the last four months. Have nope. you? Nope. None. In fact, so, it's been going down for what? 90 straight days now. Something like that. I think it's pushing a hundred and I think it, yeah. uh, 90, it's a $78 yeah. a barrel for crude oil mm -hmm. and that's, it's down 6% today. So hmm. if we're going to talk about inflation, yeah, let's talk about when it comes down, but good news doesn't really travel. And I think that's really great news. Maybe a question for our listeners, send us an email and you can send your email to team at conciliowealth.com. Send us an email on where you're feeling inflation outside of just gas prices. I'd be really curious to sort of take a little poll on what people are feeling. Uh, I know that, for example, airline tickets are a lot higher. So if you're booking an airline, it's like, whoa, that's way more. Uh, I mentioned in a prior podcast that I'm seeing it at the grocery store. Everything's like a dollar more. It's not just strawberries are a dollar more. Everything across the board is a dollar more, which is interesting to see. But I'd be curious from our listeners, you know, to house point. Are you really feeling it outside of oil? And if so, where? Um, yeah, would love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, yeah, not to come across as, um, you know, careless about it, but it, I'm, we know you're feeling it. But psychologically, is it hitting you as much? Because I think people are feeling better. We're seeing um, consumer confidence. It's up to 58 from a bottom of 50. Wow. I think gas prices have more of an impact on people's psyche about prices than, than any other product. I mean, it makes sense. I, hmm, does that make sense? I guess it depends on how much you drive. I mean, you go to the pump and you fill up. You also go to the grocery store a lot. I feel like the two things that I do all the time, I fill up the gas tank, which is not very often because we don't go anywhere. Yeah. I go to the store all the time. That's where we go every week. Um, but I think it's, I think it's harder to gauge what you're spending at the grocery store because you know how, when you go and you need, you know, you need some sort of a, like you need more ketchup or you need more something and you buy two or three of those things. And all of a sudden your bill spikes, you're like, why did that happen? Well, it's because you olive oil, for example, you bought the thing that was 20 bucks that you're going to use over the next few months. And so your bill spiked over the original amount. So I think maybe it's harder to sort of, um, connect 
inflation to that because there's these sort of uh, uh, unique purchases that happen randomly in grocery bills versus gas is the same thing every time. I have an empty tank, I fill up, it's always roughly the same amount of gallons within one or two, and then I, I notice the price. I wonder if that's it because it's just a known, it's a known certainty. Yeah, and that could be, I, I drive maybe once a week. Yeah. And it's really kid related for me. And yeah, I don't know, I don't notice as much, but daily commuters, people who are traveling, vacationing, mm -hmm. that that's so apparent, right? So so we, we feel for you and we but we're seeing quite a bit of positive signs. One positive sign, and you're gonna call me crazy, when the market sold off after uh, Jerome Powell spoke last week, I think that's a sign of the market finally believing what the Fed's saying. They're picking up what the Fed's putting down, if that mm. makes sense. Mm. Right? Because I was, we were confounded by uh, the July rally. Mm -hmm. And again, I'm not the person to complain about good, good rallies. We'll take any rallies, whether, whether they're uh, founded or not. Here, we, we wanted financial conditions to tighten. What that means is money should be a lot less easy to access and therefore spend, right? Mm -hmm. Credit should tighten. Demand should come down broadly, right? That's going to help inflation on one end. And we talk about supply chain all the time. I think that's probably more of the, the equation than demand because we, we are buying less. Right. Take cars, for example. We typically sell 17 million cars a year. We're on track to sell 13 million cars a year. Wow. Inf yeah, the inflation readings say cars are more expensive, but we're buying less. That doesn't jive with me because, well, car prices, they're the price and they're driving up inflation. But the, the fact that they're driving inflation and we're selling less, to me, they, they should be weighted less. They should be less important. If car manufacturers can't get their supply chain in order and they are selling less for a higher price, everyone else is suffering because we're, we're gauging off a, you know, a nationwide inflation reading. That's new cars, cars right? cars is a big component. What's that? That's new cars, right? It's, it's new cars mostly that, that was driving um, core inflation. Sorry, no, my question is, so to go from, from 17 to 13, that's... Oh, that's new cars, New yes. cars. Yes. Do you... Do you have data on used cars? I'm wondering if there have been, uh, you know, if it's all the same, right? Just simply more people are migrating to buying used cars than they are new cars in order to try to save money on their car. Yes, good point. So CPI does not pick that up. Ah. So if, I, if I'm a BMW dealer selling BMWs for $70,000 and no one buys it, yeah. CPI is picking up that, that $70,000 reading. PCE, which is the Fed's preferred method, is if you're in the market for a car, Chris, and you see a BMW for $70,000, like, eh, that's way too expensive. Uh -huh. I'm going to trade down to a Toyota Camry. PCE will pick up that purchase rather than the stale price of $70,000 left on BMW's lot. But but my question is, is not the trade from BMW to Toyota. It's the trade from BMW new to BMW used. Yes. So that's a different category. The 17 million is uh, new cars sold, which does have a domino effect, right? If you sell less, fewer new cars, you're going to have fewer used cars down the road. Mm. 
right? You kind of need the new cars to have a new car, a used car market. Sure. But yeah, yeah, used cars actually came down in price mm -hmm. according to CPI. So people are trading, not necessarily trading down according to that report, because um, <clears throat> if used car cars are coming down in price, that means used car sellers are having to lower their price for some reason. Yeah, yeah. I Maybe mean, they there's were too higher. much inventory. Right? I guess I yeah. missed that window too to sell my used car. But anyway, that's that's uh, <laughs> that's interesting though. Maybe maybe we'll look that up offline and, and we can report back because I'd be curious to see if you know because a new car. Why do we only look at new cars? People buy new cars, new to them. You know, the the certified pre-owned two-year-old car yep. or whatever, uh, which some would say is a great deal because as soon as you drive it off the lot, it loses value. There's a lot of people that buy cars that way. And I wonder if there's been more of a migration towards that. Um, that's interesting. We'll, 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 we'll have to look at that up, look that up off, offline. For sure. Yeah. Hmm. All right. And uh, the other part that came up in price is unfortunately utilities. So natural gas and electricity. Hmm. I believe electricity is more of a seasonal thing because we got such hot weather really on the West Coast. Um, and summer's pretty much over as of what, two days ago. Well, so I hope not, but uh, <laughs> for us, we hope so in California. Um, but yeah, utilities, <clears throat> that's pretty sticky though. Um, in terms of how much you consume, the, the price of gas, natural gas here does go up and down. So that could be pretty noisy data, mm -hmm. meaning month to month, right. Depending on what's happening in Ukraine, your gas bill is going to move up and down. So, mm. so we hope, um, the winter months, uh, by the time that rolls around, gas prices will have come in a little bit, but um, that's why there's concern about headline and not headline inflation, core inflation coming up because that gives the Fed more reason to hike, right? And there's a couple key components here. Uh, we're seeing we're seeing the cost of input, like the raw goods, come down, mm -hmm. and that's proven out with the producer price index that came came in the day later, but didn't generate any headlines. And hmm. that actually came in lower. So if you're a manufacturer, it's actually cheaper to to produce things. Well, of course. Makes sense. Yeah. Good news. Missed but, the headlines. Shock. I'm shocked <laughs> to hear that. Weird. Yeah, but inflation's up. You heard what it here first, with, though. With, yeah, <laughs> you heard it here. <laughs> what does that do if we can consistently keep those margins then for companies? I, I said this in our uh, earlier um it, you know, we'll see if this is proven wrong, but I, I, I can't help but wonder if we're setting ourselves up for just an insane amount of corporate profitability. Uh, so many companies have, so let me back up. Uh, I, I had heard this a, a, quite a while ago now that if you raise prices as a company and you say, Hey, we want to provide better benefits for our employees or reinvesting in our business or, you know, all these kind of noble things. People don't generally like that. Uh, they might actually switch product. They might not buy your product and go buy another product. If you raise your prices and you blame it on something that's out of your control, i.e. inflation, supply chain, um, the you know even the labor market, ah, we can't control that. We need to hire better people or, or, or just people in general. Um, people continue to buy your product. They ignore that and they say, yep, everybody's doing it and they keep buying. Every business has done that. We've all gotten the emails from, you know, where are your monthly things going from this to this? And we've seen it in the stores. I just can't help but wonder if we are reaching or soon someday sort of this amazing amount of profitability in companies as supply chain costs come down, as 
the, the cost of goods goes up, gas comes down, uh, and those profits remain. Now, yes, we could officially fall into recession, which means lesser things are, you know, fewer things are bought. Um, if there are in fact layoffs, yada, 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 there could be some trickle down there. But once we get through all that, are we maybe setting ourselves up for a insane run of profitability for us and even global corporations? Yeah, well, I think so. Like go, go to your nearest burrito chain. I know Chipotle, um, has raised prices pretty consistently through mm -hmm. the last two years. You think that I think that a burrito is now twelve dollars. Do you think Whoa. that's going to go down to eight? That's crazy. It's probably going to come down, but I think it's going to come down to eleven, eleven, ten dollars maybe at worst. But as the supply chain improves, like we're seeing, right? Chipotle serves meat, corn, mm -hmm. right, mm -hmm. lettuce, all products that have gone down at least thirty, forty percent mm -hmm. in the last four or five months. Yeah. So your you point think, is, if it goes from eight dollars to twelve dollars, it's not going back to eight dollars. It might go to ten, maybe eleven, up, maybe nine. Up like a rocket, drop like a feather, right? Just like gas prices. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so it, yeah. it will still be higher than the previous. Uh, you know, and, and and supply chain gets better. These prices come down. Um, that sets up for more profitability. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not saying um, Chipotle is gouging. I, I know there's they're paying their workers a little bit more. Uh, we're just saying that corporate prof profitability from a viewpoint of an investor, I can't, I can't think of a better situation that's being set up right now to be able to maintain margins. Hmm, interesting. We'll have to see how the cost of wages play into that, right? Because wages yeah. are for many businesses the largest. The people are the most, ex the biggest expense, and so if that goes up by ten percent, um, you know, even if prices go up twenty and then come back down ten. Um, uh, yeah, I wonder if that still nuts out profitably. Hmm, interesting. Hmm. I think it would, but then again, the, the the other scenario that the market's really pricing in is possibility of recession or the probability of recession going upwards. Right? Um, not to say we're going to get one, but it's looking increasingly likely, which isn't the greatest news. But the silver lining in there is one compared to the seventies, we really want to tame inflation, right? Cause the alternative is the seventies style stagflation where, um, Arthur Burns, the fed chair at the time really overstimulated the economy. Hmm. If this sounds familiar, stop me. Like in the early part of the seventies, Nixon applied a lot of pressure cause he wanted political points. He said, Hey, Arthur Burns, I appointed you. Let's keep unemployment low. Let's keep Americans employed. Right. But we already had all the stimulus from the 60s that were just really bubbling up. Hmm. And combine that with ultra-loose monetary policy, what did we get? We got 12% inflation, 13% inflation, right, in the 70s. And then we had another oil shock that came in in around 73. Mm -hmm. This is this sounds oddly familiar to what we're living through now. Hmm. But the, the difference is, and the Fed's super aware of this, um, they, back in the 70s, they, they did raise rates. But they, did they raise rates high enough and let them stay high long enough to kill inflation? Well, everyone knows the story. Um, or at least I hope everyone who follows financial markets closely knows the story that inflation hung around for eight, eight years. Right? And we, we did get a recession. And Arthur Burns 
lowered rates again, though. But he lowered rates below the rate of inflation. And guess what that did? That pushed inflation back up. Mm. And that was a battle we couldn't couldn't tame until the 1980s. And we didn't we didn't have a solution for that, which until Paul Volcker came in, but he raised rates to 20 percent. Mm-hmm. And did we get a severe inflation or a severe recession then? In the early 80s? You tell me. No, not really. It wasn't really severe at all, actually. So, but it finally killed inflation. But a couple of things might have helped there where, um, again, we, we support labor, we support workers, but, you know, we just kind of report things as they as they were, right? Uh, a lot of union busting occurred and started in the 80s where, where union membership started really tapering off. And the reason why I bring that up is in the 70s, um, inflation uh, continued because of the wage price spiral. So if you're working at a factory and you're part of the union, you're going to say, well, inflation is 12%. We, we need to go back to the negotiating table and mm-hmm. ask for raises. Mm-hmm. This happened multiple times a year, which nowadays, can you think of any company that gives multiple raises a year? No, <laughs> not even union represented companies, but they, that's how much representation and collective power that they had hmm. uh, back in the seventies. So that's what it means is the labor force is reacting to inflation by higher with higher wages, which spurs more and more inflation. Of course, and I think that's a big difference from what we're seeing in this labor environment. We just don't have that much union representation to push multiple multiple salary increases in a single year. So I think that's one one part that's different. I think the other thing you're saying too, and, and if you look back over sort of modern uh, monetary policy, since we've learned, we as in the US, the Federal Reserve, even the global economies, we've learned so much from going through so many of these events in the past that what you'll find is that the time for recovery tends to be a little bit faster now than it was 50 years ago. Um, the length of the trough or the, you know, the painful part tends to be a little bit shorter uh, than, than it was 50 years ago. And the more that we go through these, these environments, the more we learn from that. 2008, we learned how to, how to inject money into the financial system, which we use some of those same tools in a slightly different way right at the beginning of COVID. Uh, which I know COVID was one of the biggest surprise years for for most people because the market had a fifty percent swing. You know, dropped thirty percent in two weeks. It recovered five in the next zero, six. right? Not one five. Five zero. Five zero percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fifty percent swing, and then it ended up up positive on the year. And uh, you know, there's so many people that looked at their statements, going, "What happened? How did I make money this year?" I look outside, and everything is all closed, and and stocks are up. So anyway, point is, the 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 uh, monetary policies become more effective and more surgical to an extent. Um, and I think if I'm unpacking what you're saying here, you're saying it is unlikely that we're in an extreme high inflation environment for say eight years, like we were in the seventies. It is also unlikely that we will have to raise rates to 20% in order to get there. And the fed in their last press conference has come out and basically said, we will do anything to tamp out inflation, including if it means people lose their jobs, i.e. if, the economy falls into recession. And we've said this before, we'll say it again, 
probably the fastest way to drop inflation is people need to stop spending, which has to trickle into jobs. And this is, a, it's, it's just historically how it's worked. Uh, now we might not get there, uh, but if we do, we probably get through this faster. And I think the final point, how, what happened to markets after the seventies uh, and beyond? We had an amazing 40 year bull run. We had a 40 right? year bull yeah. market after that. Yes. That includes the sell-off of 1987, uh, 1993, 2000, 2001, and 2008. So it's incredible. So if you're looking for a green light, yeah. And you, but you, let's look for a green light to invest, right? We haven't in the last 40 years gotten a lot of all clears. There never is. <laughs> but if you, you let's say clears. you, yeah, let's say you flip that around buying opportunities, 1987, it was down uh, 39% from its low. Guess what? Uh, the market ended that year. I don't know. 1987 savings and loans crisis. Sorry. It was 34% down for the entry year low up, uh, up 15, up to, okay. 36% swing, mm -hmm. right? Savings and loans crisis was pretty scary. Um, because we thought the mortgage market and real estate market was going to completely collapse, mm -hmm. but that was a buying opportunity. I don't know how else to say that. Right. Uh, to 1990 market was down 20%. Guess, guess where it ended that year? Up six. Uh, down seven, oh, okay. but 13% swing, right? <laughs> and then let's go to 2000, 2000, 2000. Uh, market was down 30. Where did it end? Uh, it, it's still down negative, but it, down 15. Very, very close. Down 13. Uh, okay. But you see these points in history where the mood feels like it did today. And I speak from experience, right? Things were, I've lived through 2000 as an investor, 2008, right? Me too. Uh, 2020, you did too. The feeling's pretty much the same. All this negativity is hard to buy in the moment, but everyone looks back and says, well, I should have bought in 87. I should have bought it in 1990. I should have bought it in 2020. Well, then do it. This is the, the real, real chance to do it. And I think this might be shorter lived than what people are expecting, um, especially comparing to the seventies. There's, there's a lot of notable differences. Here. I want to bring in some financial planning, uh, aspects to this. I think this is important. Um, uh, I was in a, a client meeting the other day, um, and the client had said, there's no point in buying into the market now. And I'm like, well, it's kind of like how you saw all the signs as you were walking to the store that said stuff in here is going to be more expensive. Inflation is crazy. Like, sorry, not sorry. The jeans are more. And you walk in all of a sudden <laughs> you find that everything is 20% off. Like, Whoa, this is totally unexpected. And you maybe buy some because it's an unexpected savings. And maybe the next week you find that it was 25% or 30 or whatever, but still long-term, you got a good deal. And let me zoom out a little bit. Take, for example, COVID. When COVID, the, the lockdown started, the market dropped about 30% in a mere two weeks. It was the fastest drop on recovery, fastest uh, uh, recovery on, fastest drop on record, fastest recovery on record. I think we all can open up a chart of the S&P, just put it into Google and zoom out a little bit and look at where the market was there. 
And I think we can wish that we bought more at that time and zoom out further and go back to 2007, 2008, 2009 was the bottom. So you're going to see the top in there at the end of 2007 and then the bottom there. Uh, it is still nowhere near the top in 2007. October of 2007 was the top. My point is think about flat or down markets this way. You have the opportunity to invest because you have money today through your income at prices that didn't exist until say last year or the year before, or the year before in some cases, depending on how bad the pullback is. And knowing what we know historically, things will recover. Coming back to COVID, I know we all wish that we put in more money at that low. It was a crazy thing to do. I know yeah. for those of you who are listening, who are clients, you all got our call for cash email. For those of you that responded to that and put in any amount of money, you've never been happier. Right? That was an awesome, awesome, awesome investment. And so think of this as markets do in fact come down for those of you that are savers, uh, meaning not retired yet. This is an opportunity to buy at prices that did not exist until the past, yet with present dollars. This is good from a planning standpoint. Last point, yep. you have to maintain a diversified portfolio in this case, because it's the only way that we can really have a high degree of probability of things going the right direction. If you have all your money in a single stock, it doesn't matter what that stock is. Sometimes stocks go through periods of time where they aren't uh, performing very well. And I think the main question that I don't have an answer to that I don't think anybody will have an answer to until many years from today, a lot of our clients work in technology. Many of their stocks have sold off a lot this year. And I think a lot of people are anchoring to that 52 week high. It's this much per share. And it's not that those businesses are today bad and yesterday were good. Microsoft, for example, to, to pick on Microsoft in a good way, they will continue to print money over time. My question is, how will the, the market value that business in the future, given that we are, I think, in a completely different environment? I don't know the answer to that, but I think that it's worth looking at and, and, and rather than anchoring back to this high, high price and saying, I'll sell when it gets there, know that maybe that price was way over where it should have been. And it might take many, 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 many years to get back to that price. When you're well diversified, you don't have to stress about that type of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I think what you said there really, really helps psychologically too. I think another trick would be, imagine if you were starting clean, like a completely clean slate. Yeah. Would you invest today or would you invest at the end of 2021? I think that's a big difference if you were looking at price levels only mm -hmm. and just throw out all the garbage in the, in the news, right? You think about even if you were, yeah, it's a different point of view because you're holding some of the stuff that's gone down and you're seeing red in your statements, but you think about it. If you could find a way to start fresh, again, just hit reset in your mind. What would you rather buy at today's prices knowing what's could happen in the next few months or 2021 prices. Of course, the financial right? planner That's me says a, a little bit of both, but yes, today. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yes, today, right? Um, yeah. Don't time the market, but yeah. I'm just saying, as ugly as things are, because the herd, if you want to be contrarian here, you're buying. That's it's very simple. Mm -hmm. The herd is selling. Professionals are selling, retail selling. There's, there's a stampede to the exits. 
where do you think these big money managers, these successful, successful investors made their money from? Carl Icahn, uh, Ray Dalio, Warren Buffett, did they buy when markets were good and rosy? Or did they make their fortunes out of scenarios exactly like right. this? Some of the best businesses are born out of recessionary times. Uh, right. You know, and, and you looked at uh, Amazon, uh, Apple, they really started to have their huge, huge rise uh, out of 2008, 2009. Yeah. And inflation does have a, have a way of psychologically pushing markets in weird ways. Uh, we, we look at the Q score. So what's the value of a company hmm. if you strip out everything? And if I could sell Microsoft for its its parts, right? All of its trademarks, all of its uh, copyrights, things like that, right? The cost of the cost of all that adding up should be equal to what we call a Q score of one, meaning meaning the cost of the company, if I were to strip up all its parts, are worth this amount. Right. Microsoft's trading below that amount. So if I closed up shop in Microsoft and sold its parts, like all the rights to Windows, all the, the servers, all the Surface trademarks, right? Surface tablets. Um, if I sold all of that, I would actually be richer than, <laughs> than when I just sold Microsoft stock as it trades today. So if you look at Q score fundamentally, right? I'm looking at fundamentals, it's trading below one. Meaning I'm, I'm investing in something that's worth more than it's broken up parts. So even with inflation, that includes inflation. So if I'm looking at investing opportunities, I'm looking at quality companies that have value underneath them. Right. And you know, whether it's the sell-off is founded or not companies, you great U S companies are trading below their Q score. And I think there's so much opportunity there. Yeah, the, can the market go down further from here? Yeah, the, everything, anything sure. can happen. But from where we're standing and the data we're seeing, it would take quite a bit to to blow past the the June lows. And you know, every, everyone who's listening on Wednesday, um, you know, next <laughs> week, we'll probably right. say these guys were totally wrong. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, that's that's the the price you pay when you're talking about moving markets, right? It's always a moving target. But when we're trending near 24% down, that's that to me, if we're going to look at a long-term graph, will always point to a good buying opportunity. Totally. I know we, we start off by not saying um, this is the investment advice, but just broadly speaking, you just want to buy low and sell high. I, don't, I can't think of another scenario where people are always doing the wrong thing, which is selling low, continue to sell low. And then when the markets recover, they buy high. I mean, and I think that's the worst thing clients could do or investors can do. Context. Everybody at Microsoft just got their bonuses paid on 915, which means their 401k is just kicked up based on what they were uh, contributing all year, right? Cause the, you know, the bonus hits, the 401k kicks up. So they just invested on 915 in their 401ks. That might well be one of the best investments that, that they've made in this decade. Yes. I mean, I, I remember when, when we hit send on that email during COVID, you know, we were like, I know it's going to feel crazy right now, but this might be one of the best investments we make you make in the next decade. And, you know, so far that's turned out to be correct and, and like we'll maintain that case. Um, 
I want to, I want to just preface by one thing, um, or, or sorry, come back to one thing. Uh, we commented on Microsoft here. That's not us saying go buy Microsoft stock or, or, or a specific endorsement for any specific stock. For example, um, we'll just as much compliment a stock as we will, you know, try to try to pull one down. The point is the broader market is what does prevail. Um, and I think if, if, if you own a broad index, uh, let's say Target and Walmart, you know, if Target starts taking market share from Walmart and you own both of those stocks in a benchmark, in an index, you're doing okay on both. Because if market share or market value goes away from Walmart and goes to Target, you still won. Whereas if you just own one of those companies, you have to pick right in order to win in all cases. And so again, this anchoring yep. of, um, I worked for a company that my stock just doubled and doubled and doubled and doubled. And it just, it always does that. Um, I don't know if that continues. I don't know if that doesn't continue, but the point is what we're trying to, I guess I'll say preach is stay diversified, be diversified, um, and just kind of be smart about those purchases. And now just looking at it very objectively, we like the market where it is not because we know where the bottom is, but because we simply know that it's further off the high than it was in long-term, it'll look good. Yeah. Let me explain why we like the markets where it is other than, you know, the, the perma optimist and the perma bull um, point of view. I think the market is finally taking the fed for what it's saying. Mm -hmm. And that is actually a good thing. That is a good thing for long-term inflation expectations to avoid the 70s style stagflation. Mm -hmm. Would you rather have a few months of pain in 2022 or eight years of slogging stagflation like we did? It's in the a 70s? great point. Yeah. Yeah. 10 times out of 10, I would take this. Meaning, meaning the market is believing what Jerome Powell is saying. Jerome Powell being the, the Fed mm -hmm. chair in July, he said something. The market says, I don't believe you. We're going to rip higher. That made, you know, in hindsight, that made no sense. At the time, we were elated because we like green. But you think about it, financial conditions loosening further don't doesn't kill inflation. It only stokes inflation. Mm -hmm. And what we're getting now is inflation fighting tools that the market is behind, right? Sometimes selling creates opportunities if you think about it. Yes, it's painful if you're holding the assets that have sold off. Buy more of them if you mm -hmm. can. I, that's probably the best thing uh, because I don't think we're going to, I don't really don't think we're going to have a decade's worth of inflation. Yeah. Right. And it's already softening. Yeah. And what's going to put, we would have to push it past what we saw in June. Right. I think another force that we're not Black seeing. Black Swan event. What's that black swan event though? Like that, that would drive prices higher well, what I'm, if we're facing risk. Sorry, what I'm saying is it's always a risk. The black swan event is always a risk in any, any good, bad yeah, yeah. markets are indifferent. It's always, it's a black swan event. That's the definition. Yeah. And our black swan event is we, we need inflation to go back higher, but what, what would drive that if demand's already weakening, even without these hikes, we're seeing demand right. weaken. We're seeing producer price index weakening, meaning it's getting cheaper to meaning it's ship better. and produce stuff. <laughs> yeah. Shipping rates are down to its two year lows. So if I were sending a product overseas or cross country, it's cheaper. Mm -hmm. So what's going to drive inflation? 
right? What's going to drive inflationary pressures at this point? I think, again, you're right about the black swan, but it'd be a really weird black swan to drive inflation and prices back up because- No kidding, because demand's demand, already coming down. Supply would have to drop. Yeah. Yeah, yeah demand's already yeah. coming down. So if it is a black swan, I don't think it'd be inflation related. Mm-hmm. And again, I don't think that, that helps comfort people, but- um, if there's any solace here, I think inflation, there would have to be a lot to push it back up to where it is. Shipping rates have to go up. Uh, supply lines have to tighten again, which I'm not seeing any sign well, of I that. I think our point is you can't plan for a black swan event. You can't hedge against it. You can't plan against it. You can't. It just yeah. happens. And again, coming back, if you're well diversified, you will be okay. Diversified portfolio has always made it through everything, period. And so, uh, yeah. you know, again, that's, that's where we believe the vast majority of, of our clients' money should be held because we can reasonably plan on it, uh, to, you know, to be there and to get from yeah. A to B. Yeah. Well, um, I think we took enough that's, time talking about one single No topic, kidding. Well, this was fun. I mean, inflation, great thanks to the questions uh, to our listeners. I mean, it was good to break this down. And uh, how I want an answer on the used car piece. So uh, shoot me an email on that. New cars, new car sales are down. Used car sales, I want to know if they're up to see if people are buying the same number of cars um, and they're just adjusting their purchases based on, I'm not going to buy new because it's more expensive. I'm going to go, say, certified pre-owned, two years old type thing. Uh, super curious on that. Yeah, and I, I think that's another point I didn't really expand on too too well, but um, per- personal consumption expenditures are the preferred measurement. Mm-hmm. So that used car, new car, thing trading up and down is reflected in that reading versus CPI Mm -hmm. because CPI is going to throw big numbers out there. And if the dealership wants to put a markup and no one's buying their cars because their markup's $10,000, that's being read in CPI, which doesn't, doesn't jive to me. Okay. Uh, Hey, question in that chart you were looking at where you were quoting market lows and then where it finished, has it ever finished the year exactly at the low? Not that I've seen. It's wow. always been a leg up, like 10% better on average. When when we had that 50% bounce, which was a pretty strong rally. Um, again, history is meant to be broken, sure. I guess. But yeah, the, it would take a lot to get back down to those, past those June lows. Because June was pretty bad in right Well, well I'm, saying, I'm saying we're looking at the S&P over a calendar year. And it hits a low, yep. whatever that low is. And then it finishes the year but it's never actually finished the year at the lowest point in the market. It's hit that low at some point oh. within the year, and then it's actually recovered never. at some point. Yeah, looking at the chart, of, we hit the entry year low. We've never finished below that or wow. at it. And we've always finished, gosh, significantly better, probably 60% wow. better. So I guess we don't know where the low is, really? if it was... June 16th or whatever it was could be lower, but the, the key is finding the but, low. But yeah. the key yeah. is that it likely doesn't, you know, we are in the back half of the year. It's unlikely that it finishes at this low. And if it does could go lower, but then it comes right back up to where it is, for example. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for context, uh, 34% down savings and loans crisis in 87 was black Monday in October. Hmm. That was a two month rally. If yeah, you think about yeah. it. That was an wow. insane rally. What did so, it finish that year? Two uh, percent up. <laughs> okay, I'd be shocked if the market finishes up two percent this year. But um, well, it's just yeah. I, I but it. that's yeah. a less historical lesson of trying to jump in when things are rosy. It's like, well, 
I remember past 87, at least reading um, past 87, 88, things, we didn't get the green light till 89. For sure. Yeah. Right. And so if you're waiting for a green light, uh, it's, it's, I wish you luck, but typically the markets don't wait for the anyone. green light is buy, be diversified by now. <laughs> yes. By now. Yes. Uh, all right. We are out of time. Thanks how for your time. Talk again soon. Yeah.